But I want you to think about this epistle because an epistle is a letter that is written. And I will tell you that when you read through books like Philippians and Ephesians, that you will do so much better if instead of just reading it passage by passage, you read it in its entirety. Matter of fact, you can read through the book of Philippians, even if you're just an average reader in about 14 minutes. And it's a letter. It's meant to be read from the front to the back. And I can't cover all that today. I'm only going to cover a little bit, but read the full context within it. Now, let me just give you a quick summary, though, because Paul is talking to them, and he says in chapter 1 that I'm very confident of this, that what God has started in you, he will continue, and he will bring to fulfillment. And later in the chapter, he says, listen, I know that I'm being in prison right now because of uh, preaching about Jesus, but you need to know that what seems to be such a bad circumstance, God is actually using to promote the gospel. And as so often is the case, what the enemy means for bad, God turns it for good. And then he says to them, I want you to understand the way I understand life. Verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We go into chapter two and he speaks to us about living a life that is marked by humility. And in that he says, our best example of that is in the Lord Jesus Christ, who though fully God emptied himself, became a man so that he was fully God, fully man, and he was willing to suppress his glory and walk among us humbling himself to be the sacrifice for our sin by giving himself over to death on a cross to pay the penalty that we owed for our sin. And there he died, was buried, and rose again in three days. And Paul says that the day will come where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess regardless of who you are. Regardless of whether you believe in Jesus or not, regardless of whether you confess Jesus on this earth, there will be a day where every single person will confess Jesus is Lord. And then he says, because of all that God has done for us through Christ, look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work his good pleasure. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this passage, you have something to tell us. Lord, let this not just be a time where we get more information, where we receive teaching. Let this be a time in which we listen to you. 
and we hear what your heart is for us to go, to do, to be, and become because of what your word has to say to us. For we pray it in the holy, precious name of Jesus. Amen. I need to tell you something real quick. I have five points, okay? My first point is longer than the other four. I just want to tell you that straight up because I've been in these kind of messages before where I knew they had five points. I timed the first point and I thought, oh no, I should have sat closer to the rear. First point's the longest point. And that is this, work out what's working in you. In verses 12 and 13, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And sometimes, verse 12 of Philippians has caused a bit of a bump inside the church, because whether you're in the King James Version, or the ESV, the RSV, or several other translations, that phrase, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling can be a challenge because it can almost seem like we are being told that somehow we're responsible for our salvation. But that's not actually the way to read this. If you're to read in the original language, actually the New Living Translation has a much clearer expression of this. It says it like this, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. And what Paul is saying to us is because we are Christ followers, we are called to live our lives in such a manner that we demonstrate the impact of salvation in our hearts. And it's the power of God that works through us. It is the enabling of his Holy Spirit working through us to do the works of God. It's not that I somehow am making it happen. It is God through me is doing that which he wants to do as I say yes in obedience to him. We don't act on our own. We act inside the power of that transforming commitment to Jesus. Now, I'll give you an example of that. I'm married. I've been married for a long time. Not as long as some of you, I'm guessing. I'm coming up on 40 years. I'm getting broke in, just about finished my training. But here's what I know. My life changed when I got married. I mean, it did. I quit dating other girls. I started having to call home to tell people where I was at. Matter of fact, I won't get to leave here and get to Fort Worth where I'm going to next with at least one or two phone calls on the way. And I'm glad to. I'm happy to. My wife is tracking me on her phone right now. Not because I'm not trustworthy, because I forget to tell her sometimes the places I'm going. It's just easier. My life changed because I got married. And I can't remember one day since I got married that I thought, I wonder if I want to act married today. I wonder if this would be a day of obedience or not. When you come to meet Jesus, it is life transforming. 
And that's what Paul says. You're going to live this out, not living on your own strength, but on his strength through the life he has called us to live. And you know, it would help us to remember that most of the time when Paul uses the word salvation, he's not using it quite the way we use it sometimes. Because really, if you'll look at it all the way through his letters and you look at the tense that he's saying, he is often talking, most of the time he's talking about salvation that is to come. He talks about the time that we're going to stand before God and we are going to be found worthy by the blood of Jesus Christ. He's not talking about just the moment I'm in. He's talking about one day at that judgment seat when God should pour his wrath out on me. Instead, he pours out his grace. I am covered by the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Romans 5, Paul says it like this in verse 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Now here's the thing, in church, we can be really guilty sometimes of using shorthand statements to describe a really big concept. And we do that very often. You know, one demonstration I could use of that is what I see sometimes on church signs. I, I have been known to stop my car on a trip to take a picture of a church sign. Because churches put stuff on their signs that if they would just think about it, they go, maybe this isn't a good idea. I saw one sign, took a picture of it. It says this, our church is just like good brownies. Sweet, with a few nuts. And I tell you, if I was visiting that church, I'd go around and say, where's the nut section? John Wimber, he's a little boy in World War II. His family, like so many other families, were saving things like rubber, tin foil, metal, anything they could, paper, whatever they could get their hands on to help with the war effort. He talks about being that little boy and he's pedaling his bicycle past a church and he sees a sign that says, Jesus saves. And he said, my first thought was, I wonder what he's saving. I mean, in our house, we're saving rubber and metal and everything else, but it just didn't occur to him that meant anything more. Than that. I want you to know that Jesus is saving, but he's not saving a what. He's saving a who. And as you think about the ark of salvation, think about it in this term. This is somewhat abbreviated, but think of it like this. The Bible says there comes a time where we respond by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to recognizing that we need Jesus as our Lord and Savior and that we embrace him in that way and we ask him to come into our lives and to forgive us of our sin and to come into our hearts as our Lord and Savior. And the Bible refers to that as justification. That's the moment we are made right before God. But from that, we are then called to live right. And that is the process and the moment of sanctification. The Bible says that we are sanctified in him, being sanctified as we grow in him, as we walk in him, that because we were justified, we are now choosing to walk in in his power to be sanctified, to live sanctified lives. And then when we mess up and we fail, 
The Bible says in 1 John and many other places, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are then preserved or preservation because we are kept right in him till the eventual time of judgment where there's glorification, which we receive our new bodies and we are moved into a new earth and we are eternally right with God. And so when we say salvation, it doesn't doesn't mean when did you get saved? When we talk about salvation, we're talking about I've made the choice and responded to Jesus. I live my life in community with Jesus. I am held by the authority of Jesus, and I will be glorified one day with him by the blood of Jesus. And when I was a little kid, I will tell you, I came to Christ at six. And what I couldn't figure out is if I meant it when I asked Jesus into my heart, and I did. And when I wanted to do what was right, why did I have such a hard time doing good? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it confused me. There were times where I sat back and I said, God, am I really saved? I mean, how could I be saved and make that choice? And here's what I learned. It doesn't take a big skill set for me to be bad. It came, I mean, it sort of came with the owner's manual, right? It just showed up. It was a standard feature. Is there there anybody in here that you struggle on how to be bad? You had to have a tutor. You said, oh, please, oh, please, I'm too good. Help me be bad. Because if you say that, we know what you're bad at. But to be good, not just willfully good, but to want good, that comes because I'm in an intimate relationship with Jesus. And because as I walk with him, I want to please him. I want to honor him. I want him to know that I love him. I want him to know that I'm dependent upon him and that unless he gives me the strength, I'm not making it. And it's only by his grace that his goodness can flow through my life. If you're struggling today, I want you to hear something. There's a Savior who will forgive you. There's a Savior, if you don't know him, who will save you. There's a Savior who will keep you. There is a Savior who will preserve you, forgive you, and one day bring you to his presence and glorification. But it's all him. Maturity is a result of my consistent embracing of choices which reflect the heart of Christ. It's allowing the atoning work of Jesus to work through me so my life reflects the reality of Christ in me, the hope of glory, which is Jesus alone. So how does living out my salvation impact my life today? Well, first, it shapes how we walk with each other. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and and innocent. Isn't it interesting that the very first place Paul goes when he says, let's prove your salvation, let's demonstrate your salvation, his very first place was where? My mouth. I mean, it's just like he said, let's talk about this. 
because this is going to be the most practical thing you can learn. Remember, he says, what does he say? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. This, this, this word that is utilized here is a description that is found in the book of Acts when the widows began to be upset about one widow being treated differently than another widow, and then their kids got involved, and then the church got into a dispute, and it's just this movement that's taking place. It's a murmuring, it's a mumbling. And as a consequence of that, it's a reminder to us of the very same kind of thing. Actually, it's, it's, it's the Hebrew word in the Greek, basically, that you find in the Old Testament when the children of Israel were murmuring and grumbling and saying something like this, where's the barbecue? Now, they asked for meat. Okay, I'm texifying it. Where's the barbecue? Did God just bring us out here to die? Oh, I remember Egypt, where we got to sit around the fire with leeks and garlic. Wow, what a way to think about your future. They didn't, they didn't think about the bricks. They didn't think about being enslaved. They were missing the menu. And they began to grumble. Oh God, did you just take us out here to kill us? And God said, no, I'll feed you. I'll feed you till it's rolling out of your nose. The thing about murmuring and grumbling is it's an undercurrent. It erodes fellowship. Grumbling is often a question that includes a little bit of an edge to it. You think this is the right way to go? You think this is the right choice that we should make? Do you think that our church is on track? Do you think, I mean, there's a thousand ways to do it, but it can be so cutting. I read about fault finders and I came with this. I'm not critical. I'm just keenly observant of what's wrong with everyone else. I will tell you that God wants us to move from being a fault finder to being a fruit bearer. He wants us to bear the fruit of righteousness. When we begin to work out that which is working in us, it will define how we shine in this world. In verse 15, it says, Children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. This isn't about as a believer that I walk around acting like I'm better than other people or I think more highly of myself than I ought to. It's living out what's found in Matthew 15 in verse 14 where Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden, nor do people People light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says that the good works that we do, empowered by his Spirit, brings light into the darkness. And when it brings that light and it illuminates that darkness, it's demonstrated as, as coming from God, it brings glory to God. So I just want to ask you, where is God asking you to bring light today? Is he asking you to bring light into a relationship? Is he asking you to bring light into your family? Is he asking you to bring light to your neighbor? Is he asking you to be that place of light with the people that you work with? In your church family? In your school? Where is God telling you you're here to bring light right there? 
bring the light. It also anchors how we grow in faithfulness. Verse 16, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain. And really, verse 16 and 15 are somewhat coupled together. And it's this, if we live right and we shine bright, we hold tight to the gospel. We hold tight to the word of life that brings life to us and life to this world. They need you to bring them the life that can only be found in Christ. And sometimes I have people say something like this, I just don't know how to witness. I'm not comfortable with this. I don't know how to, listen, how to witness. Let me give you this thought. If you will simply learn to love people and serve people, you'll eventually get asked by people, why are you doing this? Why do you love me when I've not treated you well? What is it with you? You're not like other people I've met. And at that moment, you're able to look at them and say, listen, if it was me, you wouldn't be impressed. But let me tell you, when Jesus came into my life, he changed me. And he loves you. And I can't keep from loving you. Listen, I don't struggle to tell people that my wife's name's Pauline. I don't, you know, kind of shuffle my feet, say, oh, I don't know. Proud of it. We witness because we know him and because he has changed us. We hold on to the one who has hold of us. We share his hope with those who are lost because it frees us to live in love. Verse 17, even if I'm poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And Paul comes in and he gives this picture of an Old Testament sacrifice where you take that drink offering and as the burnt offering is being offered and as other offerings were being offered, that drink offering would be poured out upon it and it would be released so that it would go wherever it would go and it would be released out so that it would be able to be part of that sacrifice. And Paul says, I want to live my life and I want you to live your life like that drink offering, ready to be poured out, ready to be released, ready to be pushed out of that cup so we can serve other people. And when you live a life where you're ready and willing to be poured out, God shows up in an amazing way. You know something? When you pour something out of a cup, it's really hard to get it back in. can't ever get back everything you poured out. And Paul says to us, pour out your life, pour out your life in response to love and the blessing that God has poured out into you. And, and you got to ask yourself, is there a time where I get to quit pouring out my life? Is there a time where I get to finally stop and say, I think I've done it. Once in a while, I'll have a conversation with somebody and maybe you've heard this kind of conversation before too. They'll say something like this, I've done my time. I've worked the nursery. I've worked with kids. I've worked with students. I've worked with adults. I've been on committees. I've been part of teams. I've done this. I've done that. And I just think it's time for somebody else to take up the mantle. You know what my response is? 
Well, let's see. What's the biblical response to this? Does the Bible ever say there's a time where you just quit? Well, let's see. Aaron went up the mountain and died. And a new priest came back down. Moses went up the mountain and died. And Joshua came down. My response is simple. You ready to go up the mountain? Because unless you have your hiking shoes on and you're ready to go take that summit, God still has something for you to do. He calls us to be poured out, to pour out, to pour out. And the Bible says that I need to be ready to pour out my life as a blessing upon other people. And once in a while, I can hear people say, well, listen, I'm a little concerned because if all I do is give and give and give, what will there be left for me? Listen, go with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. Meet a widow who will tell you, you can't outpour God. Just keep pouring. I will tell you for, for too many, their cup is not being emptied because they're pouring out for service. Their cup is being emptied by evaporation. God didn't call you to cling to it. He called you to release it. So I ask you, where is God telling you to bring the light of Jesus to today?